Uh, today we're going to open to Genesis 19. Um, Genesis is at the beginning of the Bible. It's the first book. And we're going to be reading... Sorry, I must have been singing really loud or something. Uh, verses 1 through 22. Hopefully it holds out. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered. We will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the, the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge? We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, daughters, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't step anywhere on the, in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the, the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. Morning, church. As we read through these stories in Genesis, week after week, personally, I have found them so impactful, so helpful in my growth in the Lord. And every once in a while, we come across a story and... My expectations for it might go down a little bit because of how strange it is. And this is one of them. And then as I spend time in here praying and considering what God was saying here, wow, I was really impacted 
really deeply uh, changed and, and affected by this story. And I hope that God does that for every one of us here this morning. Please be advised that there is mature content in this story. Some stuff that little ears, they might not be ready for yet. If you feel like that might be the case for your family, the childcare rooms are still available. They're still open. Uh, I'm not going to go into any unnecessary detail, but I'm also not going to shy away from the obvious things that are in the text this morning. I think it's the rawness of the story that's going to make the mercy of God shine so brightly for us. Like it doesn't pull any punches. It's very honest about humanity. It's very honest about the world. It's very honest about sin. And that honesty is what sets up an opportunity for the mercy of God to shine brightly. That's what I really hope happens with us this morning, is that we leave here wondering more than ever at the mercy of God and how amazing it is. Now just to catch us up, maybe some of us are here for the first time this morning, we're in a part of Genesis where the past few weeks the, the stories have been tied together. Three visitors showed up to Abraham. They're visiting Abraham. They're visitors from another world. They're messengers from heaven. It's kind of clear that one of them is the Lord who's kind of like taken on a human form. And the two others with him are like angels that he's brought with him. They show up to Abraham. They make promises to him and Sarah afresh saying, hey, you're going to have a baby. And then he warns them. He shares this little bit of information with them that he's about to destroy the city of Sodom. It's really unexpected. He says, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. And it seems like in the flow of the story, him saying that he's going to destroy the city of Sodom is his invitation to Abraham to intercede for the city. See, God loves to show mercy in the midst of judgment, and he's inviting Abraham to intercede for the city. And Abraham has his prayer. He says, God, if you would please spare the city if there's 50 righteous, only 40, 20, 30, 10. And God says, I'll spare the city if there's only 10 righteous people in it. And there's not 10 righteous. There might not even be one. And so this story will be the just and righteous judgment that God brings on the city And yet, he's going to answer Abraham's prayer and still be merciful. This is a story of God's mercy in the midst of judgment and catastrophe. So let's hop in now. Let's see where where it takes us, and let's see what God has to say for us. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords... Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. When we look at these first few verses... What should be in our heads is that this is setting an ominous scene for us. You notice the first detail? Two angels show up. The Lord hangs back. It's almost like his presence is not going to be as available in the city as it was to Abraham. They show up in the evening. So night is setting in an evil city. It's like the beginning of a horror movie here. You're reading these carefully. 
Another concerning detail, they find Lot sitting in the gate. He's sitting in the gate of the evil city. So if you watch Lot's life in the book of Genesis, it's like a train wreck in slow motion. Right? He, he starts off really good. He's with Abraham. He's following the God of Abraham. But there's a little bit of tension between him and Abraham. And he wants to be rich, so he separates from Abraham. And he drifts further from Abraham. And Abraham's God. He sets up his tent near Sodom, a city that the story has made clear so far is a city that does not love God. And now as we get to this point in the story, he's sitting in the gate of the city, which is the place of commerce and leadership. Ugh. So Lot has had a drift downwards and a drift away from God. And immediately we should be thinking, okay, this is not good for the angels. And what's, what is Lot going to do? This does not bode well for him. He starts off well immediately. He starts showing hospitality to these angels. Right? This is... Uh, what Abraham does earlier, he shows, he shows hospitality to these angels, so he's doing a good thing. And they say to him, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. We can stay in the town square. To which he presses them strongly, saying, no, you need to come stay at my house. It's almost like he knows there's something wrong with the city and something wrong is about to happen and he feels a sense of fear. And he presses them, come here to my house. Trust me, you do not want to stay in the town square in Sodom. And they do. They take up his invitation, and they go to his house, and he serves them a quick meal. And now it's night. Now night has fallen in the city, and we see what happens next. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So the men of the city, they surround Lot's house and they make a disturbing request, a disturbing demand. They tell him to bring out the visitors who came to his house so that they can sexually abuse them. The word they use is a really dense word so far in the story, the word no. So earlier, if we go in verse, right back earlier in Genesis, Adam knows his wife Eve, and they conceive his son. So it's a word that does refer to sexual intimacy. Also, if you go back even further in Genesis, it's a word that is used in the tree of knowing good and evil. So, so that's like the story that all these other stories trace their way back to is Genesis 3 in the fall, the tree of knowing good and evil. And the idea is that we either surrender to God and let him define what's good and evil for us, or we seize a prerogative of being gods for ourselves and define what good and evil is for ourselves. So I think the point that that word is making in drawing those connections is that the men of the city are not allowing God to define what's right for them. They are determining and defining what's right for themselves. They're defining what's good and evil, what's right and wrong in two different ways, right? They're defining what's good and evil and right and wrong when it comes to power, right? They, they suppose that they have power and that these visitors are weak and do not have power, and so they're going to force them to do whatever they want, right? So that's one way that they're determining right and wrong and good and evil for themselves. The other way that they're determining right and wrong and good and evil for themselves is in the area of sex. 
So they're redefining power and they're redefining sex. Earlier, God had designed and created sex to be between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman who are permanently committed to one another for the rest of this life. This is a distortion of sex, and it's a distortion of power. And when you put those things together, the results are horrifying. It's a horrifying picture right here that this mob of people are about to uh, commit like homosexual gang rape or something just so awful. And even when I say that, right, it's, a, it's just a horrible phrase even to hear. And I think that's the point. I think this is supposed to wake us up to how horrible our sin is. Right, one thing we see in this story is that the men of the city and Lot himself are blind to sin. And the longer I live and the more I understand myself, I see that the same thing is true about me. I don't understand how ugly it is. Now, all sin isn't this bad. All sin is not the same degree, but it's the same kind of thing. And this is a really extreme example of sin to help me wake up to the ways that my sins are also ugly. Because unless we hate our sin, we will not turn from it. Right? It's very powerful. It's very alluring. It's very attractive. And so unless we're woken up to what's real, we will not flee from it. And we'll remain. We'll remain living in Sodom under the value system of our fallen world rather than living in a relationship with God who wants to know us and care for us and bless us forever and ever and ever. Sin is our worst enemy, and God is graciously trying to wake us up to our worst enemy so that we can kill it and be free from it. The other thing I think it's showing us is that sin can take us places we never imagined it would if we give into it. Like, I found myself in the past in places doing things that I never planned on doing, never imagined that I'd want to do because sin had taken me there gradually. When you end up doing something that wrecks your life or wrecks someone else's life or something that's just demeaning to yourself and other people that you never thought that you would do, never thought that you would go where, you didn't just wake up and do that one day. It was a slow progression as evil and sin and wickedness slowly got a hold over you. And this is another warning to us. Today is the day to kill your sin so that it doesn't kill you tomorrow. This is a gracious reminder to us to wake up. So now let's see how Lot responds to this horrible situation. And he is in a horrible situation. He says in verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Sorry, verse 5. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after them and said, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. The next thing Lot does is the last good thing that we see him do in the story, and it's followed by a very bad thing and then worse things. So the first thing he does is he goes out and he faces the mob. This was right. He was supposed to protect and shelter those people who were in his home, so he goes out and he faces the mob. 
but the way he tries to defend his house against the mob is the wrong way. Right? He does this horrible act of offering up his two daughters to protect the men in his house. See, he, he's, an, he's a host in the ancient world, and he believes that it's his right and duty to protect the people in his house, which is true. But the way he goes about it is unthinkable. He offers up his two daughters in an attempt to get the mob to spare the, those men who stayed under his roof. Kelvin put it well, he should rather have endured a thousand deaths than resort to such a measure. What we see here is that Lot has been breathing the air in Sodom for too long. Slowly, its value system has been working its way into him and corrupting him until he thinks and acts like the city that he was a part of and didn't think it was changing him, didn't think it was influencing him. Lot's an example of if we live under the influence of the world, eventually it will corrupt us and shape us. He might have not thought he was headed in that direction. He might have not known he was headed in that direction. But now we find him here living and acting as a citizen of Sodom. The way a citizen of Sodom acts is that a citizen of Sodom sacrifices other people to achieve their own goals. Citizens of Sodom sacrifice other people to achieve their own goals. The men of the city show up to the house and they're willing to sacrifice these visitors to achieve their own goals. Lot comes out and he's willing to sacrifice his daughters to achieve his own goals. What you'll find when you give in your sin is that inevitably you're sacrificing the good of others to serve yourself. And once again, the story shows us that it's always ugly. It's always ugly even when we're blind to it. It's always ugly when we sacrifice others to achieve our own goals, when we live selfishly like this, which when I read this story, I'm just so thankful for Jesus, who's the opposite of Sodom, who came and sacrificed himself so others could live. And it's his life and example that saves us from Sodom. Like, I was born with this mindset. I was born with this mentality. I was born a citizen of this world and a citizen of Sodom metaphorically until I met Jesus and he sacrificed himself for me and it was beautiful and now I'm able to sacrifice myself for others. That's what it is to be saved from Sodom. So this story so early in the Bible is preparing us for that ultimate story by showing us what Jesus is not like so that we can flee from what we were to be like him instead. Now, how do the men of Sodom respond? How are they going to respond to Lot? Verse 9. But they said, stand back. Yeah, I keep getting confused. I'm sorry. Um, But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. But they pressed hard against the man Lot, and they drew near to break the door down. So the men of Sodom respond with a normal heart, a normal human heart to sin, which is when your definition of right and wrong is challenged, you feel judged. And when you feel judged, you feel angry, and your anger turns into malice against the person who challenged your definition of right and wrong, and sometimes it even results in violence against that person. That's kind of the progression. Feeling judged leads to anger. Anger leads to malice. Malice can lead to violence. 
this old heart inclination is in all of us this morning. Like all of us, from time to time, we try to define what right and wrong is for ourselves. And when our brothers and sisters graciously point it out, oftentimes we're not super excited about it. We feel judged. And judgment turns to anger, and anger can turn to malice, and then relationships can give way to sin and separation. So we have to be on guard against this kind of heart because it will tear a church apart. Is if we allow our sense of being judged to turn into anger and anger to turn into malice and violence. We must be aware of that and put it to death. And I'm also intrigued that this seems to be like almost verbatim the way the world feels about Christians right now. So God graciously gave us a book with his law that rescues us from ourselves, but it interferes with the world's definitions of right and wrong. And when we either insist on God's version of right, definition of right and wrong or not affirm the world's definition of right and wrong, it often results in a feeling of judgment, anger, and malice. And the anger against uh, God's definition of right and wrong is often an attempt to silence the voice of Christians, to silence the voices of God's people. And I just want to summon you this morning to never be silenced by the anger of the world and to never affirm as good what the Bible calls as evil. We must do it humbly and winsomely and never resort to anger or violence or anything but the example of love that we receive from the Lord Jesus, and we must also not be intimidated by the anger of the world. Amen? Now, Lot is in a lot of trouble. His life is basically over at this point. Right? There's, there's a violent mob that wants to tear him apart. And one of the craziest things is that it's basically his fault. Like, this is a problem of his own making. This, his life is where it is because he made the choices that he made. And as I read this story, I'm like, man, this kind of sounds a lot like me. And a lot, like a lot of us here, right, where we end up on our own decisions, on our own life, in a disaster of our own making, and the only thing that can help us is if God intervenes. And that's why I love where the story goes, beginning here with verse 10, where we're going to see the tide change and God to intervene in this horrible, corrupt situation. Let's look at verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. God is stronger than the mob. And he reaches out through these messengers. These two hands are stronger than the 400 hands or 1,000 hands that are coming to his sail lot. And God pulls him into safety into this house. And then these angels reach out and they strike with blindness this mob that's coming to bring violence and death. I don't think it's like a random plague or a random judgment that's just meant to stop them. It's actually, it's a plague or a judgment that's supposed to communicate to us something. When they're struck with violence, God's bringing their outer condition to match their inner condition. They're already blind. They already have no fear of God or who he is. They already have no understanding of the sin and its grotesqueness. And so now when their actual physical eyes are blinded, it's a testimony that their hearts were already blinded. 
And it's a picture to us of how sin destroys the whole person, beginning with the inside and working its way out. Like your sin, it will start by corrupting you within and and hurting you within, but then at the end of all things, when the judge of the earth returns, if it's not dealt with, if it's not turned from, if it's not given to Jesus and repented of, it will destroy both the person inside and outside. And God's so loving to give us pictures like this so that we can turn from our sin. My goodness, I want to turn from my sin today. My goodness, I want the whole world to turn from its sin today. I don't want to see anything like this happen to anyone. This is a good picture to wake me up and wake us up. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else you have in the city? Bring them out to this place, for we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. The angels start talking to Lot, and they're not only going to show him mercy, They're going to show mercy to his sons, to his daughters, to his sons-in-law. Do you see how the mercy starts to expand outwards? Like, we're meant to learn about God from this story. And he's a judge against uh, sin and evil. He's a good judge. And we all know that that's a good thing if we really think about it. Like, we hate the idea of a corrupt judge who lets guilty criminals who are oppressing and hurting people weaker than them go free. We just hate that idea. We hate it when we see it. It's just offensive to us. Our moral sensibilities know it. And God's not like that. He punishes evil, and he's therefore bringing a righteous and good judgment against Sodom. And yet, in the midst of his judgment, he's merciful, and it's an expansive mercy that starts to work its way outward and reach out to other people. And as the story goes on, all we're going to see is that God is more merciful than we would dream in response to our sin and then the condemnation we deserve. So, the angels start to clarify a lot what reality is so that people can respond rightly. There's an outcry. Judgment is coming. Get out. Very simple message. Lot goes to his uh, family. It's kind of concerning, right, that he's marrying into Sodom, but he is. So there's marriage alliances being made with the people of Sodom. And he starts to tell them. He starts to tell them, the city has fallen. Judgment is coming. Get out. And they think he's joking, right? It seems to them that he was jesting. Which another way to translate that phrase, jesting, was it was as laughter to them. It was as laughter to them. Which, for those of you who were here the past few weeks, remember that word laughter. Remember that? Abraham laughs. Sarah laughs. And now the people of Sodom are laughing It's a reminder of one of the most devastating parts of our sin is that it blinds us to what's real and makes it seem ridiculous. The longer we and our neighbors live in their sin, the more ridiculous truth seems. And it becomes harder and harder to minister the more and more ridiculous truth seems. And stories like this are here to wake us up from that.
I want to remind you this morning that no matter how ridiculous other people think you are for following Jesus, it is the most sensible thing in the world to do. Where you work, where you live, it will increasingly seem utterly ridiculous to people to believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again and he's the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to God. And we will be mocked, scorned, and rejected as a result of that. And I just want to remind you this morning that believing in Jesus and following him is the most sensible thing in the world. And there will be a day where Jesus will come back and make all things right, and we will know on that day that this was the most sensible thing in the world. So do not be alarmed if the world finds you ridiculous. Instead, let us be steadfast and firm and convictional in our principles that Jesus is real, he is who he says he is, and live as if that's the case so that we can be a servant to other people and wake them up so that they can see what's real too. Oftentimes, the only hope for someone who thinks Christianity is ridiculous is to see a real Christian living and dying as Jesus would, for that to wake them up and invite them to come to him. So be a real Christian. Be a convicted Christian. Be a firm Christian who lives as if these things were all that matters because, quite frankly, it's one of the only things that's going to wake up some people who find this ridiculous. Now we get to verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it says morning dawns. This is one of the first like hopeful notes in the story that something good's about to happen, right? The, the story started by evening falling. Now this part of the story, morning is dawning. Somehow Lot's still in the city. He hasn't left yet. Come on, Lot, what are you still doing there? The angels have to tell him again, up, take your wife and your two daughters. You're going to be swept away. And you think he'd leave. You'd think he'd go. But he lingers. He lingers. When I read that, I first read that, I was shocked by that. I was shocked that he lingered. And the more I meditated on that, the more I saw that that's me. Right? There should be, when we read the Bible, something crazy should happen where we get this sense that we're no longer reading the Bible, but that the Bible's reading us. And what's going on with Lot is that he knows what's good and right and what God wants in his head, but he doesn't know it yet or believe it in his heart. And that's oftentimes why we know what's good and right and true in our heads but don't believe in our hearts, and so we linger in Sodom. We linger in our sin. We linger in our rebellion against God. We linger, and it takes an act of God to wake us up, which is why we pray to him and plead to him, Lord, wake me up so that I can flee and escape from the sin. And now we see in the next uh, verse, it says that the Lord was merciful to him, uh, and they brought him out, and they said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape in the hills, lest you be swept away. And then it says, so the men seized him and his wife and brought him out. 
Lot is not strong enough to escape from the city by himself. God is strong enough. Lot is not righteous enough to be saved from the city by himself. God is strong enough. And so God brings him out because of his mercy. An unrighteous man in an unrighteous city is rescued because of the righteous prayers of his friend. Right? It's just like the story of the gospel replaying before our eyes. And this is the only way that any of us ever got out of Sodom, is God in his power reached down and rescued us when we didn't deserve it, when we were going the wrong way, and when nothing could have helped us besides him. And then verse 17. And as they brought him out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold this city, it is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, and I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Escape there quickly. For I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is called Zoar. God's calling Lot out of that city. He lingered, and now he defies. He's not ready to go to the place God wants him to go to provide for him. He wants another city like Sodom. He demands, God, please let me go to the city. And God's merciful, and he lets him go there. And even spares that city on his account. So just as we keep going through the story, we just keep seeing God is more merciful than we dreamed or imagined. And we're going to have to pick up Lot's story in future weeks. It's not going to end well for him. But I do want us to linger here and learn what we can from this. What does God want us to gather from what we've heard this morning? Church, we need to flee from our sin today. Not tomorrow. Not the day after tomorrow. We need to flee from our sin today. Every day we linger in Sodom, it becomes harder to leave. And for God to be more merciful than we can fathom means that he provides a way out when we do not deserve it. Did you know that every single sin that you're dealing with, that you're tempted with, God is providing a way out for you this morning? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is the Lord is faithful He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God never leaves you in your sin without a way out of it. And so when you're feeling temptation come to you and the thought pops into your mind, I should text my DNA. That thought wasn't from you. That thought was from God. And I just want to encourage you to start responding to those thoughts with obedience and taking the ways out because he's merciful and because he always provides a way out to us. Who he is and what he does. Right? We love the gospel of Jesus Christ as Christians, his life, death, and resurrection, because it's the story of God providing us a way out of our sin. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. One of the things he is is the way out of the sin and destruction we were in. And this morning, you might be here and you might be wondering, is there a way out for me? Like, I feel like I'm already too deep in. I feel like I can't get out. 
Friends, the fact that you're here this morning and listening to this sermon is God providing you a way out. He's providing you an invitation to come out and come to him and be rescued from your sin and your death. No one has to linger there. No one has to stay there. And so please take his hand. It's reaching out to you right now and inviting you to come find life. And if you've never become a follower of Jesus yet, if you've never trusted him, he is offering you free and full pardon and forgiveness of sins right now because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The most beautiful thing about the gospel is no one in the world ever has to die. No one has to die. There's a God who sent his son to die so that whoever believes in him might live. Just ask this morning that you would come and follow him with us. We don't deserve it. (laughs) We don't deserve to be here. So please come, follow Jesus, leave your sin behind you, and take the mercy that he provides. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy that we don't deserve, but that you gave to us anyway. Please wake us up this morning if we're sleeping and please help us to take out the ways that you provided and please help us to marvel and worship you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.